0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of ACES Cast. My name is Gunasyeb Gatulina and in this podcast I talk to researchers affiliated with the Amsterdam Centre for European Studies about their ongoing projects, academic journey and favourite books. My guest today is Floris Vermeule. Hello Floris. Hi Gunas. Flores is an associate professor at the Department of Political Science at the University of Amsterdam. In the past, he was co-director of the Institute for Migration and Ethnic Studies, as well as research group leader at the Amsterdam Institute of Social Science Research. Flores has extensively written on civic and political participation of immigrants, religious diversity in the Netherlands, and local policies that target violent extremism. Flores. While preparing for this interview, I realized that I even do not have a neutral vocabulary to talk about your research subject. a migrant community? Is it a community of people with immigration background, bicultural be, be community? What kind of term do you use yourself? It's a
1: good question and also a really difficult one. And we, we, it's also some, something, I guess, it's ongoing, sort of developing. I noticed lately that I speak about communities with people with immigrant backgrounds, immigrant origin. Uh, And most of my work focuses on first and second generation. So first generation are the actual migrants themselves and then their children. But I think it's important to keep in mind that we do need to focus on something or uh, explain that we look at migrant background. Um, This is my expertise and also my my interest. But of course, since the political debate has so much changed over the, let's say, the two last decades, um, it becomes important to think about this all the time. And also, sometimes to change the, the categories that we, uh, that we use or to use it for a specific reason. So, I think it's an, an important question, an important discussion to have.
0: The migrant communities in Europe in general and in the Netherlands in particular has been the topic you have been working on already since the 90s. Why did you choose to focus on the issues of migration integration in the first place?
1: Yeah, another good question. I mean, um, and also something that I wanted about myself. I guess it started in the the 90s. I studied social history here at the University of Amsterdam and I was always interested in sort of the question what happens basically also over time when uh, migrant communities settle in a particular environment. Um, I studied uh, also at New York University uh, for a semester as an exchange program Um, and also there um, I further developed that idea and of course In the US, but especially in New York, the material there and the the scholarship is so rich and so detailed, and you basically can study these patterns over time for so many different groups, compare them, so that makes it really interesting. But I guess also a personal reason for me to be interested is um, my mother is uh, is born in Indonesia, her father and his father, so basically looking back at the colonial era where a lot of Dutch people... um, settled also in in that particular country and my mother lived there until she was eight so um, and my wife she's also of uh, Indonesian Malaccan descent in our family we have a lot of other diversity so people from Morocco Suriname so we have a quite a diverse family And I think it also tells you something about my upbringing and my my friends and relatives that are also very often have immigrants um, immigrant backgrounds themselves.
0: Would you say that your own personal background helps you to understand the people you're actually studying?
1: I think so. I hope so. Um, you always have to be careful there, right? Not to make it uh, too personal. Um, but what I try to do in my work is try to make better sense, but also try to explain to our general audience that, that this issue of immigration and what happens next, let's call it integration, is a, is a very complicated, multi-layered process. That cannot be answered by simple, straightforward questions. You, you really need different perspectives, also different ways of studying it. And I think having my personal background helps in that, that I know some of the stories uh, from a personal experience and also know how difficult it can be. And also sometimes how complicated the situation can be when yeah, different factors play a role in, in many of these processes.
0: You already yourself mentioned the term integration and this is indeed something that we use quite often when we talk about communities with a migration background. What does the term integration means to you?
1: To me it means that I'm interested in the question uh, what happens after migration, the settlement, right? And, and, and again we have to be careful there, not saying that it always is sort of a binary process where people um, leave one country and never return, right? We know that there is a lot of in between, Um, but we also see how immigrant communities settle in different places, and then it's about the question, okay, what happens next, right, in terms of, and you can sort of distinguish different domains, the social, the cultural, the political, and the economic domain, and there it's interesting to sort of look over time uh, what happens and how newcomers and their children and their grandchildren sort of develop. On the other hand, the whole concept of integration is, is rather contested um, and it also related to the fact that obviously this is also very much used in the political and public debate as well and um, that makes it sometimes really difficult to use it in an academic perspective. One of my PhD students, Lea Klarenberg, she will be defending her dissertation next month. It's a more political theory type of dissertation but she, um, she calls it relational integration and she wrote a very interesting uh, dissertation on, on how we should have make better sense of that concept and look at, obviously, at, at, at the two sides, right? It's not a one-way street. Uh, it clearly, is you also need to in, in, take into account the, uh, the country uh, of settlement as well, but especially focus perhaps on, on relationships in, in different ways because it's about that relationship that can be integrated and not so much an immigrant can be integrated or not. But it remains a very difficult and very contested uh, concept.
0: One of the areas, indeed, that you've been studying over time and that most of the time is used to sort of measure the integration of people with migration background is the participation in local and national elections. What has changed in this respect if you compare the 90s and the participation rates in the most recent elections that took place in the Netherlands in March this year?
1: Yeah, I think what happened in the Netherlands is quite interesting also in a a broader European perspective. Um, And it is because... Our system, our political system, is relatively quite open to the representation of minorities, right? It, it is relatively easily easy to, to become represented in, in local councils or in parliament. And, and you also see how minorities can benefit from that. On the other hand, when you ask me about the participation rates, so the turnout rates in, in formal elections, what is interesting there is that it's not necessarily a case where we see an increase. Uh, for some groups, we see a clear decrease in, the, in their turnout rates or systematic, very low turnout rates in general. Um, so something clearly is going on and something that is also um, quite structural. And it means that there are quite a number of people with a migrant background, first and second generation, who seem to have um, basically lost hope and feel that the political system is not really there for them, do not really feel that they, people, the politicians represent their interests and very often also, if you interview them and speak with them, they would they would say, I do not recognize the political system, the politicians and those active in it as being a, a person that I can relate to. So that is something serious is, 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 is going on there. At the same time, we also see the emergence of all kinds of smaller parties representing the interests of these groups. A lot of things are happening and, and it's also um, it's quite dynamic and quite interesting also for us as scholars to, to look at. Um, but it's something that you clearly also have to take into account from a longer perspective.
0: Yeah, indeed, when we talk about this disappointment in politics, it seems to be not specific only to communities with migration background, but also to a general population. So what kind of differences do you see? That What sort of makes the communities uh, with migration background more disappointed or unlikely to participate?
1: Yes, indeed. We see also among other social groups that they sometimes are very disappointed, and then it's mostly related to... um, Educational level, right? I think for citizens with a migrant background, something else also um, is important, and that is related to diversity, to um, recognizing people like themselves um, in positions of power, which very often is not the case, and and that makes it even more complicated. If if you look at it from that perspective, you can you you could argue, okay. This, this sort of this integration process where people settle and become part of the political system obviously needs some time, um, but we're now third, even sometimes fourth generation, and we still have sort of this continuing uh, discussion about to what extent is, um, is the system open enough? To what extent are our politicians and uh, people in power diverse enough? Uh, and it also goes, for instance, in terms of gender is, uh, is another important topic, of course, there um yeah it 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 is clear it's still the case that especially also in the netherlands that the people in power are mostly men white men middle-aged men and that means that a lot of other groups um yeah are are somewhat excluded or sometimes really excluded from the system and they really have to sort of gain access to that system um and have used particular resources to do so and that that can be quite a, a fierce fight i would say
0: so you mentioned you need diversification as one of the Factors that can help to increase the participation rate. What else?
1: Um, what is interesting when you look at our work, for instance, on, 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 on the city of Amsterdam, where we did indeed from early 90s already very systematic research, is interesting to see that especially those groups that have a strong community. And when I talk about strong community, I mean a lot of organizations that are well-connected, uh, that have a, a large constituency, can be used in a political way as a tool basically to mobilize people, to mobilize um, voters. Uh, And we see for instance, people with a Turkish background to participate in much higher rates than than other uh, immigrant communities. And in our political system, that means also that their level of representation is much higher in the councils, in parliament. Uh, At the same time, that doesn't necessarily translate to a more powerful position, right? So there there are different levels. So you have to also think about uh, diversification in different ways. Um, and also, it means that if you look at the Turkish community, that for those groups, the resources are there, but it also means that you have to identify as a person of, of Turkish background, right? And, and that's not always the case. I mean, the Turkish community as such is, is, is very diverse, but it also goes for many of the other immigrant communities. So you have constantly this, this question, um, what does migration background, what does ethnicity, what does religious identity mean? in a political sense. And that can mean different things for different people. But it's it's clear that in the current political debate and, and climate, these identities can play an important role to mobilize people, but also to exclude people. So it's, it goes different uh, in different directions.
0: You already mentioned that in the recent Dutch general elections, there were several parties that seem to target specifically, let's say, non-white Dutch population by Ain, Denk, Nida. How do you assess their success in the last elections and their future potential?
1: Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see. And I think you have to make a difference there between parties like NIDA and DENK uh, that have more stronger roots in sort of the Turkish, Moroccan, Muslim communities and Bahen, that is a slightly different party. Um, but the success of those parties can only be understood if you look at it from a more broader perspective. And one of the things that happened in the last 15 years in the Netherlands or in Western Europe in general is that a, a populist anti Islam anti migration discourse has become so influential, right? And also, not so much only among uh, radical right populist parties, uh, but their discourse has, has also been very influential in more traditional parties. Even progressive secular parties have sort of taken a different position when it comes to migration and diversity if you compare it to, let's say, 20, 25 years ago. And especially for some of the voters with a migrant background, this has serious consequences, right? So the, the whole debate, the the fact that they are blamed for, for many different things um, on a daily basis is something that they um, obviously are, are really worried and bothered about, uh, levels of discrimination, and, and they really feel that these more traditional parties have not been able to, to represent their interests um, sufficiently. Um, and these smaller parties are, are better able to do so, right? Because they also, for them, it's easier to take a very strong position in this debate um, because they really represent one particular group of people. Um, but it also means that the whole political system basically, well, false apart is a, big, is a big word here, but it becomes more uh, polarized um, and more also a bit more segregated. And, and you see more and more smaller parties representing the interest for a specific group and not only people with a migrant background.
0: Would you say there is a niche for an outspokenly Muslim or Islamic party?
1: I think we already have that, right? So uh, uh, if you look at Nida, for instance, it's, it's clearly a party that um, is, is inspired on, on on Islam. They didn't get a, a seat in parliament, but but on the local level, they they sometimes do quite well. And also, when you look at Denk, they they are on paper a secular party, um, but if you look at their constituency and also uh, on what their voters find important, um, it's clear that that's religion matters. Um, so uh, we already have parties that represent the interest of Muslim people in the Netherlands, I would say, and and these are clear examples of that.
0: Also in your research, you do connect migration studies with indeed radicalization studies. Can you talk a little bit more about that part of your research?
1: So I, I not necessarily um, combine the two in, in, in particular projects, but if you look at the way that that developed, so in my dissertation, I looked at the way that migrant communities organize and the effect of local policies on their organizing process, focusing on Amsterdam and Berlin. Um, so local integration policies uh, has always been an, an, an interest for myself. What you saw in the last 15 years in in European cities was that local integration policies sometimes or Quite often, became very closely connected with preventive policies against radicalization because they focus so much on on Islamic extremism or Islamic inspired uh, extremism, and we decided um, to also focus on that. On on basically try to study the way in which um, cities in different countries um, have developed policies on that uh, on that basis, and the and the consequences of those policies for the for the community. So basically, for some context in some periods you could really argue that these policies created suspect communities in which um, people with a migrant background with a muslim background were sort of um, targeted as people that potentially were dangerous and that closely also connects with the idea okay but if we talk about integration what does it mean and and how does that um, is influenced by policy measurements political behavior uh, and you see sometimes the overlap so that's how it sort of came together
0: but if we talk about indeed the chicken and the egg, so is it about that indeed the policies that radicalize those communities lead to a certain type of behavior, or is it the other way around that actually the certain type of behavior sort of attracts certain policies?
1: It's, it's difficult to talk about this in general terms. I think it's both, right? Um, I, I will, if you look at my work, um, it's clear that I focused first and foremost on the more on the sort of the stigmatizing effects of of many of these policies. What is interesting, though, is that during the civil war in Syria, and also the the fact that a, a number of young people from different European cities decided to leave um, to that area, that had also had a huge impact on the communities themselves. Right? So I also noticed a change in terms of how I interviewed people and, and responses that I get. Right? If you, if you if you look at the situation before 2010 they would they would clearly argue the people this is more about stigmatization about the fact that they blame us um whereas uh, there's a, a tiny minority of people that that are extremists or or even violent extremists but the fact that again not a majority it was still a, a small number of people that that left for those areas. But still, there, was a, there were quite a number of people. And if you think also about their families and their friends, um, for some areas in, in European cities, this had a huge impact. And it was interesting to see also that communities became more aware of the threats and also sometimes became more involved in mobilizing, in different ways to, to prevent their young people from um, becoming part of those very extremist um, organizations.
0: You already mentioned that in your PhD thesis, you've compared immigrant organization in Amsterdam and Berlin. What are the major differences between the Dutch and German models?
1: Especially if you if you take, again, a long-term perspective, it's quite interesting, right? So um, on the one hand, you could argue that, uh, let's say, the, the traditional model is that the German citizenship model until 2000, at least, focused very much on on ethnic background right it, it was really rather difficult to become a german citizen if you um, did not have german ancestors in the netherlands it was a more civic type of model where you could where it was e- more easier also um, in terms of dual nationality you could clearly also argue that for a city like amsterdam there there, there was something of a sort of a multicultural policy especially in the 80s whereas berlin this was not the case uh, and that had a huge impact on the way that, for instance, people organized or could participate politically. On the other hand, what is interesting, if you if you look at my work, if you look at it more closely, uh, again, it becomes way more uh, complicated and nuanced, right? So the, the multicultural model in Amsterdam is not as multicultural as we might expect. Um, there was always quite a lot of critique. Um, people were really worried about the fact that this would lead to to some sort of ethnic politics or that... That would lead to segregation where people identified only with their with their migrant background. Whereas in Berlin, uh, you could also find in, in the implementation of policies more multicultural elements. Right, So you always have to be careful not to make these models that are clearly ideal types um, the same as reality. At the same time, you could clearly argue that the Dutch system and the Dutch policies have led to a, a situation in which it is somewhat easier for people to... Mobilize on the basis of their religious or cultural identity or ethnic identity, um, uh, which has led to a situation in which these um, identities are more visible in in politics than than in German politics. Right. So um, parties like Denk, 66 Nida, are now really sort of uh, structurally part of, of of Dutch political landscape, uh, whereas in other European countries, this is is not the case yet, or perhaps will not ha- ever happen because the institutional factors are are somewhat different and that makes it more difficult for people to to mobilize on those uh, identities. And on the one hand, you could argue, okay, so the Dutch situation leads to more segregation and more um, uh, identification, but also it leads to more diverse diversification and, and the fact that people can emancipate and can use the resources, for instance, to resist to this very strong uh, anti-Islam, anti-immigrant discourse, right? So um, it goes uh, two directions, I would say.
0: You also invested a lot of energy in translating your research results into more broader, publicly acceptable um, papers and articles. How do you see your role in influencing the popular debates on migrant communities here in the Netherlands?
1: Yeah, there was there was a quite conscious decision, let's say, uh, six years ago, um, and I collaborate a lot with a former journalist, uh, Frauke Santing, who has uh, worked a lot and lived in Turkey for for quite a long time. And I liked very much uh, that that collaboration because we were able to focus more on on recent developments, right? So your your academic publications they always seems to lag behind in terms of of, of, of these developments, right? If you if you think about a project needs to be designed and conducted, um, then you have the whole publication process, and before you know it, it is five five or six years later, um, or sometimes even ten or fifteen years later, and with these more journalistic output you can uh, work mo- much faster and also you can reach a, a more broader audience and I think um, it is not always easy right so I learned a lot from my colleagues who also you cannot basically use that academic language that we use for our academic publications all the time right so it's, it's, it's too abstract um, very often and also it's not sometimes not specific enough um, so you do need a somewhat different approach at the same time I feel that the research that I do for my journalistic output is quite often very similar for my academic research output right? because you do interviews um, you use a lot of your academic work to to sketch a broader context to explain again how complicated and, and multi-layered the situation is and hopefully I'm able to uh, influence the debate a bit in that sense that that we really have to go beyond the simplistic discourse that's immigration is bad or good, or that immigration is a threat or, or not. Um, th- these things are much more complicated, and it really requires so much more contextual work and also a diff- sort of a combination of different research methods, right? So more quantitative to say a bit more in general terms what, what happens, perhaps about integration or participation, but it also definitely needs a more qualitative approach where you can sort of um, provide this insight sometimes also more historical insight on, on what it is that happens uh, over time.
0: So indeed, with your research, you do try to influence the political debate. But what about things that did influence you? And here I do come to our closing question about books. So what title would you say was one of the most influential on you forming as a scholar?
1: The book that I now um, think about is uh, by, it's a classic book by Robert Orsi, an American historian. And the book is called The Madonna of the 115th Street. And and basically, it's an historical account of the Italian community in East Harlem in the first half of the 20th century. I read the book when I studied in New York, and it made a great impression on me. Also, probably because I was there, and you you could visit the area, and you could also uh, see signs of of that past. Um, But the book itself is really interesting. And basically, it, it shows how, for a particular group in which, again, also religion is quite important, right? The, um, but also the family is quite important. So they have clear cultural norms and values in which, um, for instance, the position of, of women are clearly um, defined in a way from the Italian perspective. But what always happens with migration is that, um, yeah, there's change, right? So regardless of what happens, um, people change because of migration and from both sides. Um, and, and and also in that book that is really well described um, in a historical account how also women in those families became much more independent uh, through through the city that they that they settled in where there were much more opportunities for them also to become independent but it also meant that they had to relate that new situation to uh, to the former situation and and their position in in the family and it explains also how religion played an important role in sort of coming to terms with that so this this constant negotiation of on the one hand um, trying to Improve your life, which also is very much about immigration. It's about sort of um, try to improve your life and that of your of your family and of your children, and at the same time also uh, try to hold some things that are dear to you and that they are important. Whether it becomes um, religious or whether it it relates to your family or your or your friends, your networks. So I think that book really made an, a huge impact on me and, and really illustrated the way in which you could make these really complicated and and Historical developments also approachable and accessible and, and understandable in a way. I went to the political science department, so my work is, is perhaps a bit less historic than it was then. But still I think what I took from that period was that, yeah, that you take into account the fact that if you are really interested in migration, it is very often about long-term perspective, right? It's it's not only about this snapshot of what happens now and do people participate or are they integrated but take into account a, a much longer period, but also take into account more factors when it comes to the country of origin, uh, migration patterns, but also what happens in the settlement societies in terms of discrimination, but also opportunities and and uh, resources that people have to uh, to improve their lives. And I hope that that my work influences debates a bit in, in that sense, that it provides an a alternative perspective that shows how... Indeed, migration is something that, that we really need to think about uh, in from different perspectives and in, in, in different ways, instead of just sort of a very simplistic populist discourse, where we basically we also don't see any kind of progress, right? We we are still stuck with a very simplistic way of thinking about migration and integration. Uh, and we had the debate for the last 20 years or so. So there is clearly need for for a change in, in, in that regard.
0: Thank you, Floris, for being with us and sharing your thoughts. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you for for having me. It was very interesting. Thanks.
0: In the next episode of the ACES cast, I talked to Polly Pallister-Wilkins about EU border control mechanisms, asylum system, and why humanitarian work is not always good. Stay tuned.